0: You are listening to Cut Jib Newsletter Speaks, the podcast. I don't know. It's Series 6. I I forget what episode it is. But in any case, it is the first episode for the new year of 2024. It's J.J. Sefton here speaking to you from the uh, wilds of ice station cheese that in wisconsin i'm joined by my colleague co-blogger and friend cbd and returning once again uh, to kick off a brand new year uh, can't think of anybody better than our friend uh, the author the pundit the historian the erudite mr michael walsh from uh, iron and uh, gentlemen good morning and uh, happy new year to you all
1: good morning and uh michael walsh uh Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, folks, it was a little short notice, and uh, Mr. Walsh accommodated us, which is quite kind of him. Um, so uh, how is it uh, wherever you may be?
2: Well, what's, uh, I would say Ireland is about the same as it always is. It's a country that's in a great deal of trouble right now, as you've been reading uh, in the United States. um are not reading, but we've managed to draw international attention to a proposed hate speech law. Which the Irish government, which is entirely run by the WEF and the EU, uh, has been hell bent on pushing. It's been backed off it a little bit, but they'll be back in the new year to try to resume. And it basically criminalizes thought.
1: Well, that sounds well, like a pushing. lot of fun, and, and, and it gives and,
2: and, space here. Who are called the Gardi?
1: Yeah, that, it that them, sounds uh, just like what's going on in the United States. So, uh, um you know w- welcome to the club
2: yeah well we're trying to we're trying to force it back but otherwise it's a lovely place um you know we're a, we're all in on hamas sorry guys we don't <laughs> like them jews in israel one damn bit uh not that we've ever met any by the way there are no jews in <laughs> ireland but on general principles we've decided that they're the nazis and the palestinians are irish So we actually had identified the jews as the Brit in our own 800-year war against England, and it's why you don't see any sympathy for Israel, because the population is convinced that the Palestinians are just fighting the good fight the way the Irish did for so many hundred years against a brutal, genocidal oppressor. Now, in our case, it's true. Uh, it, the case of the police office, these these but unfortunately.
1: So, folks, uh, I'd like to apologize. That was a, a technical difficulty on my end. Um, but uh, Michael was talking about the joys of living in Ireland and how uh, it is a a country uh, with some significant uh, social problems and with a uh, a, a lovely bonus of um, pretty significant Jew hate too. Uh, I get a kick out of Michael uh, explaining it because he is spot on um, and yeah. it makes perfect sense in the in the context of a uh, of a postmodern Europe.
0: I, I, just before before you say anything about that, Michael, I just want to say that, you know, it's interesting because of what happened, I guess, a couple of weeks ago with uh, a gentleman from Algeria who will not be identified as a, a member of the religion of peace going on a stabbing spree and stabbing five people and the people of uh, Dublin up in arms and rioting over it. And, of course, they're the ones that are the uh, labeled the hate mongers. But, um, you know, there you go. That's correct. Um, it's it, it, we are
2: we are. Presently being inundated by uh, an unlimited amount of so-called refugees uh, who are largely Ukrainian and also so-called asylum seekers who are known here among the people as asylum spoofers. They (laughs) come from safe countries in Africa, but they don't like they live in Africa. They've come to Ireland, which currently is paying the highest amount of money for. Housing, shelter, clothing, it's all expenses paid, free trip to Ireland. They arrive here, uh, they tear up their passports on the plane, so they are stateless when they get here and immediately handed everything they can get. We, you know, we are a welcoming country, as they say, and now the welcome has gotten a little bit too hot, as the uh, Algerian uh, immigrant, who, by the way, had been ordered, deported, and then After the timely intervention of probably some of the millions of NGOs that infest Ireland, uh, after their intervention, he was given Irish citizenship. So he was an Irish citizen for the past 20 years when he went out and attacked small school children. The early primary school here is called a Cray. In in America, that refers to the nativity scene. Here it refers to young kids, kindergarten, first se. Called a crash, so he stood outside a crash and stabbed people, and this did set off a, a major riot because the country was on a edge already. Uh, a, a Roma gypsy came here under some pretense and then brought his entire family, um, stabbed and killed a young Irish woman. Was minding her own business, he just did it because, and so people were already thoroughly sick of the lackadaisical approach to safety and security in this welcoming culture. But Ireland has follow, followed the path of the Vicomen of uh, the Chancellor Cato, uh, excuse me, Angela Merkel, Frau um, Kartoffel, as we like to call her in Germany, who <laughs> opened up German, Germany to millions of uh, people, from religion to peace, mostly religion, And now they deeply, deeply regret it. So it's a it's a significant issue and it's it's not going to be resolved very easily here. And it it's one of the things that I worry about this country. I, I should mention I'm right now in my great grandmother's birthplace. So it's not like I'm just a tourist here. Um, I have long deep connections to Ireland, to the property that we own here. Uh, my daughter is married to a Dublin Dubliner. Uh, she has two point five ones on the way, Irish citizen kids. So yeah, I have fully committed to life here in my sunset years, as they say. And it disturbs me what's going on.
1: Well, first of all, congratulations! I think it's wonderful, and and uh, it sounds like the Walsh clan is is pushing back against the uh, the fading. Of uh, of of Western culture, um, yes, and I, I hope that uh, that there are many many more in your future.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So, well, she's she's doing her best. She'll probably stop at three, but uh, we'll take three and uh, add them to the. Yeah,
1: that's you know that. I'm 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 making light of that, and I shouldn't. Um, it's it's an ext- it's an existential issue in the West. Um, I read uh, I, I've read statistics that show that um, that Korea is below one replacement mm. rate, which is unbelievable. That means that Korea is going to cease to exist as a society in a couple yeah. of generations. Um, and Japan, you know, and as Japan well. is 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 almost as bad. They're not quite as bad, um, and they seem to be managing it uh, better than the Koreans. Um, but even in the United States, and and most, and I think all of Western Europe uh, is below replacement rate um, among citizens, and that's a huge problem, and uh, and and clearly, clearly one that is not going to be addressed in the in the near term in the United States. Um, you know, it, it it can be addressed rather effectively with with uh, changing the tax code, but uh, America doesn't want to do that, so we are no, we are no. destined to follow along the uh, the path that, that Korea and Japan have have uh, blazed. Well, that okay. would be racist, uh, if
2: I could just
1: say here, J.J., because
2: okay. Ireland is actually increasing in population, but not on the part of the native Irish. And it's the government's policy that there is no difference at all whatsoever between the native Irish who have been on this island for thousands and thousands of years and the newcomers who are referred to as the new Irish. So they are actually increasing the population as the population of Native Irish decreases, And that's also true in the United States, as you know. The, the America that existed before Ed Kennedy's 1965 immigration bill uh, is no longer with us. And you're not allowed to point that out without being accused of, of course, racism. Now, the, the Asian countries, like Japan and South Korea, they won't tolerate immigration at all, the Japanese are incredibly well. We would call them racist because they believe they're different, they're superior. In fact, they're physiologically different from the rest of the world. They don't want immigration. They don't much like intermarriage. They want to stay Japanese, Japanese. But it's it's heading them straight the last stop on the train, and that's a major, major problem.
0: Yeah, I was going to say you guys are bringing up, uh, you know, obviously Japan and uh, and Korea and, of course, us. I mean, if, if you even bring up the notion of replacement theory, you're a crackpot kook, racist, xenophobe. But uh, going back to China, China, too, is uh, the, the one-child policy. The one-child policy has, is setting China up for disaster in the next several generations. And China, unlike Japan and South Korea, is a very dangerous place. So... Uh, as far as world politics, because this will just incentivize them to do anything they want militarily vis-a-vis Taiwan or anything else. And now that we have President Joey Chuchu, who is a who is also a cartoful in the head, a potato head, uh, you know, that just emboldens them even more.
2: It's bad here, too, because uh, there are many, many homeless Irish people and they are being literally walked right over in the haste to give. The new Irish, everything that can be gotten. For example, in my little town here, we're very seasonal. Uh, We have most incredible scenery right out my dining room window, as a matter of fact, which includes the Cliffs of Moher, which you've seen in every Irish tourist brochure ever, Um, the Aran Islands, the entire Atlantic Ocean, the mouth of Galway Bay, and the hills of Connemara. I can see that literally out my every window in the house. Uh, it's spectacular, but it's six months seasonal. And we have a lot of people that come in, stay in the seasonal hotels. And then for six months, it's a small little town of 500 people plus 900 Ukrainians. Don't forget them. And (laughs) just the local people will go away or they'll, you know, go get some sunshine because we don't have a lot of that in this, in this country. That's for sure. So it's, but it's now thrown that whole thing into black, because the tourist hotels are occupied by Ukrainians and asylum seekers, And I want to make one other point, which I make constantly now here, which is, by sheltering the Ukrainians, they haven't thought this through, guys. Then again, they have a reputation of being stupid, so maybe this helps. By sheltering the, the Ukrainians, they are taking them out of the draft pool that Zelensky needs to fight Putin. Therefore, by giving them free housing. Free, free, free Nikes, free cell phones, free everything, you are actually helping Putin when it's the avowed policy of the government that Zelensky should beat Putin. How to reconcile that is a mystery for the ages.
1: I'm fascinated by the entire idea that a, that a 2,000 or 3,000 year old culture, and we're speaking of Ireland right now, can be subsumed by what is nothing more than a, a, a colonialist and that is just exactly what people are railing against in these ridiculous uh, protests uh, against Israel, that Israel is a colonial power and mm. destroying the, the original inhabitants. Now, you can argue that. It, you can argue it incorrectly, by the way, because Israel, of course, uh, was the homeland for the Jews uh, probably starting in uh, 1200 B.C. But by no stretch of the imagination is was there a Ukrainian presence in Ireland in 800 B.C. Uh, or or 800 AD for that matter, and the, the idea that these people can come and be treated as as replacement Irish is insanity, and 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 it's an indication of how far diminished, how how diminished Western culture has gotten that that they are unwilling to to protect itself, that we are unwilling to protect it. That's
2: right. Well, I've well read, you know, I've written several to... books on this. Go ahead, David.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, it's not that the Ukrainians are, or or the Algerians necessarily, or whoever are invading Ireland. It's the Irish government in its infinite wisdom or lack thereof that is, that is committing national suicide. Same here as in, as in the United States and same in Europe and everywhere else. They are creating the policies that are having their own cultures and people subsumed. So it's, you know, it's, it's one thing to call it an invasion, but what is it when you open your own borders and invite them in? To, to you know to, to basically swamp you and turn it into a and, and turn you Ireland to just basically you know Kiev West or, or whatever West.
2: So right. well so, this is this is the idea behind the EU project, which is to take a country like Ireland, which has barely, barely had less than a century of independence since Bronville landed in the twelfth. And a colony of somebody, mostly England, uh entirely actually uh, uh, that entire period This during this period language was extirpated religion was outlawed priests were murdered uh, uh, the Irish would dispossess of their land uh, if you built a little wood shack, oh, sorry stone shack where my great grandmother was born right out in the backyard, it's still there part of it, uh, you were taxed if you had a window in it so you lived in a one room hut with 12 to 20 people at a time. When the famine hit, um, millions uh, died and millions went to other countries out of sheer necessity. And this is being thrown back in everyone's face now saying, well, especially to me when I'm on Irish radio, they'll, be so, well, also they'll say, to me, well, Michael, your own family was a refugee family and they went to the United States and they were welcomed, blah, blah, blah. So why shouldn't we do the same thing? And I want to say, wait a minute. First of all, This girl got on a boat when she was 18 years old all by herself. She didn't speak one word of English, not one. She landed in Boston with somebody to vouch for her, was taken up to the mill towns in uh, north-central Massachusetts and worked there until she met another Irish man from the same county, Blair, and they fell in love and got married and began to develop a family. But nobody gave her a goddamn thing. And that's the difference now between welcoming culture and the culture of ellis island remember you got to ellis island you were sick you were back on the next boat buddy and that was it for you so they the left has distorted our own immigration history and used it as a weapon against us but they do that with everything so why be surprised
0: absolutely yeah it's this, this is not a surprise it's this is a you know, this is a, a concerted effort, as you say, Michael, to to literally change, to distort and to, as here's the phrase, to fundamentally transform not only a national society, but global society in the name of whoever it is, Klaus Schwab or, you know, George Soros or Bill Gates or whatever the, the twisted group of, of individuals may be. The problem is with all these, you know, birth rates that are uh, cratering and tanking and, and with as we have seen, alarmingly, the, the rise of Islam around the world, uh, you know, it's a sad state of affairs when I'm praying for the red Chinese to save us from the Muslims. But their, their birth rate is is, is going to wipe them out within 100 years or less. And uh, with, you know, with, with, with maybe a billion and a half to two billion Muslims globally and being invited into the world all over the place. Uh, here comes the global caliphate so it's kind of a hobson's choice of uh how you how you want to have your head chopped off
1: you know i, I wonder well, if if the phrase the rise of islam is is uh incorrect um we we do not have a rise of islam as much as a failure of the west we have the fall of the west which has created a huge vacuum and allowed islam to expand um Islam is an expansionist religion. Actually, I think it's a revolutionary political philosophy that uses religion to control its adherence. But I don't know that, that uh, Islam has become stronger. I mean, you could argue that, that oil has given them lots of money. But uh, that's I, I think that's a specious argument. I think that the, the true problem is the fall of the West.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I've got a new book coming out a year from now. I just turned in my revised manuscript to to my editor, and in that I say that the Battle of 9-11 signified the, the end of the United States, basically, uh, for reasons that I don't want to give away now, but read them in the book. But I said the only forever war is the war of Islam against Christianity and the West. That's the only forever war. And they've defined the terms of this as nothing short of total victory will they be satisfied with. And we keep thinking, ah, oh, no, you're just kidding. You don't really mean. No, they're not kidding, and and, and they will they will never stop. I have a twenty five thousand word chapter in this book about Beaumont, the great French uh, Norman commander uh, during the First Crusade, and his victories over the Turks at Dorylaeum and then at Antioch. So I go into the whole history of Islam and Christianity militarily, philosophically, religiously. Every by great depth, and it's one of the chapters I'm, I'm out of stuff because it's an un- apologetic uh, defense of the Crusades and or the miracle of the first Crusade, and then why they petered out and and why they fell apart. Mostly because most of the Crusaders went home. After. They didn't. They didn't, they weren't planning to be colonizers. They weren't planning to uh, have kingdoms. It was the lackland sons of the nobility like Beaumont, for example, or Tancred, or Godfrey, uh, who wanted territorial acquisition, especially Beaumont, who hated the, the Byzantine and wanted to carve up their territory if, if he could. But most of the crusaders did it for religious reasons, and then when it was done, they went home. And that's why those crusader kingdoms that were formed ultimately didn't
1: last. Well, Israel has stepped but... into Israel has stepped into the void... Yes, it has it, become it, yeah. has become the savior of, of Judeo Christian uh, uh, culture in in the world, and, yes. and and that and the fact that that the world does not realize that that Israel is the tip of the spear um, in in this in this modern crusade um, is insulting to Israel, uh, and it's going to be a very very big problem because if if the if the West truly believes that Israel should be left to its own devices and and loses. And, and Israel loses against the, the hordes of, of Islamic maniacs, um, then the idea that they are simply going to stop um, when, they, when they take all of the land between the, uh, between the river and the sea is yes. moronic. It is, it is a catastrophic ignorance of history. And as Michael pointed out, uh, they will never stop.
2: No, they won't. And Israel uh, understands its position. And the the Arab Muslims understand Israel's position. They talk about them as being the descendants of the Franks all the time. And in fact, Israel basically occupies what was the kingdom of uh, Jerusalem and the county of Tripoli, which is Lebanon now. So those crusader states still exist in some form. Now, Israel antedates the First Crusade by a good thousand years, as we know from History, but the kingdom, the king, the two kingdoms of Jerusalem and, and Judah, uh, are basically just recreated in the current modern state of Israel. So it couldn't, be, it couldn't be a redder flag to a bull than it is.
0: No, absolutely. It's it's the the, the from a humanitarian humanitarian. I'm looking for searching for the right word here. From humanistic. Uh, you may exactly, or just the, the Islamic perspective of Jews are basically you know d- descendants of apes, gorillas, pigs, what do- dogs, whatever it is. they look upon them as subhuman and they cannot accept you know they, they, they cannot accept Jews uh, period in, in any land unless they are have diminished, it, which means second class citizenship uh, to, to the fact that Israel pre-existed the state of the, the ancient state of Israel pre-existed Islam by by fifteen hundred or however many years is irrelevant. Because once uh, an Arab or a Muslim conquers that land, it, it's as if it's theirs forever and it must always be theirs forever. So British. the fact that, yeah, the, the, um, the fact that the state of Israel, when it was formed and when they, when the Israeli armies miraculously defeated, uh, the modern state, I should say, the, the Arab armies in 48, that was called the Nakba. That was a catastrophe for them. Not because, uh, Israel was cruel or, or horrible or evil or, or ransacked and raped and pillaged. Like happened in October, but because they actually reclaimed the land that was theirs, and yes. this is uh, something that they cannot stand and will not accept until Israel is wiped off the face of the earth. So this notion. No of- Go ahead.
2: Well, no, I was going to say one of the points of my book is that uh, in all of these conflicts, especially of the what I call the Semitic faiths—so Judaism, Christianity, and Islam—failure uh, in battle, and this is true of all three groups, is ascribed to. Insufficient fidelity to the faith. It is in every culture. At Matada it was. Uh, at the, there, there was an episode, not just the massacre of the Jews on the Rhode island, but a, but a, it, in one of the cities where the Jews actually committed suicide, I found a, a, a rabbinic account of this in which they said, we have failed our God and we deserve to die. And the Muslims, when they were beat by Beaumont at uh, at Charlemagne and then again at Antioch, said we have failed Allah. We are insufficiently faithful. Therefore, we will redouble our efforts, try to be more ferocious, fiercer, stronger, better than the. It occurs throughout these three faiths, especially, and it, it's to a historian it's it's quite remarkable how, uh, as I say, failure in battle is described the insufficient fidelity to faith.
1: Well, I'm going to take that as a. a... As an opportunity for a segue into our next topic, which is um, something that I mentioned very briefly um, to Michael uh, in an email, that the the, the changing face of war mm. and why the West no longer has the will or the focus to win wars. We we titrate and we manipulate and we redefine success in uh, success on the battlefield to, to something that is that is unrecognizable to, to the true warriors in Judeo-Christian society and in Judeo-Christian history.
2: Well, we don't want to win because it would be rude to win. Uh, we have been so hollowed out over since the Second World War ended. We haven't won a war since then. That's that ought to tell you something. And and people who point out that, that when the Department of War became the Department of Defense, it fundamentally, there's that Barack Obama word again, changed. How we think about our military establishment remember we didn't used to even have a military we did we, we raised one from scratch for the revolution and vanished. but they started the civil war they had to start a whole new army and then they immediately put it to bed so that when the first world war came along pershing had to create an entire new u.s army from nothing since the end of world war ii we've kept the military establishment we don't have the military ethos and we don't have we have fruit salad generals like General Milley. Could not win a war because Belly would be in the way. Uh, it's, it's it's pathetic what we've turned out, but it's true of the whole West. And do you guys know I wrote two books on this subject The Devil's Pleasure Palace and The Fiery Angel about the loss of confidence in the West. Uh, Marxism has really hollowed it out uh, because the guilt trip that comes along with Marxism has been. So inculcated in American college students and European college students as well that it's now the dominant ethos. So we have it coming, and the only way for us to atone—that's
1: where we're at. That that ethos has has extended uh, far beyond the military. I think that if you look at our culture as a whole, you see the that weakness. Uh, you, you know, you see it. Um, in, in things as simple as as fear of weather people freak out you know there's an inch of rain coming or six inches of snow coming and the entire fucking country shuts down in fear of 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 having to shovel some goddamn snow off their off their driveways um you know things that's, like high winds feminism. i'm sorry that's feminine,
2: that's feminine. Uh, yes
1: I, you know, that's actually a very very good point it, is yeah, it is, is. yeah, we can lay that squarely on the on the shoulders or the the weak the weak shoulders of of the feminists of the world.
2: Well, I think the Nineteenth Amendment was a terrible mistake. Terrible, terrible. And I and I think the whole cultural notion from the seventies on that women could have it all and do it all, when, no offense, ladies, there are certain elements of life that they are clearly incompetent at and unqualified. To. Do. One of them is the military. I'm extremely strong on this. If you have girls fighting for you in your military, you are losing, buddy, and you will lose. There's no, no, no previous example of a female military having any success whatsoever, physically, uh, uh, morally, mentally, strength of will to fight, the strength of will to do what happens. As I say uh, in the book, the um, and, and I've said it multiple times now on, on Twitter. Um, women will always go over to the enemy. They feel their men cannot protect them. They will always do this, and they always do. Through history, there are a billion examples of this. Uh, I'll give you one from the Crusades. The Battle of Doralean, where the Crusaders under Beaumont and his and Tankard, his nephew, Ambush, they were the sort of avant garde of the main crusader forces right at the beginning. They haven't encountered the Turks yet at all. They only know them by reputation. And they were pushed back to a, a, a very poor defensive position. And they formed a shield wall, which they would aim to do from Roman. So they picked this, this thing had continued from the Romans. And they were defending themselves as best they could because they're. The, the turks fought like american indians they would come in shoot arrows and run away and come in and shoot arrows and run away and the big crusader cataphract forces these armored horses that they had and their own armor they weren't knights in shining armor but they had plenty of armor they were they were not uh, very good in a defensive position so at one point the the sultan kilij arslan who was the, the the sultan of rome uh part of the byzantine province that, had been named Rome, and they continued the same name, broke through. And the women who had been a lot of camp followers and hookers and wives and children and everything with all of these armies, they immediately, when they saw the Turks break through the lines, they stopped helping the Crusaders. They stripped off their clothes. They made themselves alluring as possible to the Turks and said, take us to the harem. And Bowman came in with his mace, broke some heads, not the female heads, the Turk heads. And when the women saw that they were now safe again, they resumed helping the army. You can't trust them in battle. You cannot trust them in battle. Well, you
0: know, here, here, here we are in 2024. It's interesting that you, know, you talk about feminism, where in the last however many years, We have basically emasculated the American male and the Western. They are the butt of a joke in everything from commercials to, to movies, to television shows, to you name it. And, uh, or worse, they're, they're seen as evil predators and, you know, so on and so forth and troglodytes. And now we have the point where men want to become women. So we've completely, we've lost our minds. So it's, it's just interesting that, you know, this is what, this is what feminism has done to us. And this is what, I guess the female mentality at the risk of at the risk of sounding misogynistic, has uh, done mm. perhaps throughout history, terrible.
2: Well, I think you're absolutely right, and I don't care if it sounds misogynistic. Too bad, you know. It's 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 too late in the game to worry about name calling and, and hurt feeling. Uh, well,
1: the thing is it's not misogynistic. What it what it does is it recognizes the traditional the biological social position of women in society, and that mm-hmm. that position is vital. It is is perhaps the most important single thing in society and that is that is, is bearing our children and and our society yes. over the last uh, oh probably since the 60s has has mocked that has minimized that and has turned women into these ersatz men because what what they do best what they that what only they can do has been trivialized and that's so insulting to what is the most special thing in humanity and that is the birth of a child
2: Absolutely correct. You go back to the Battle of Cannae, for
1: example. Uh, this
2: is during the Roman Republic, so it would be, I forget which see it is. Uh, the Romans were annihilated by Hannibal. I mean, they were killed to the last man. 75,000 men died on the field by the sword. You know how long that takes? Good God. They were caught in a, in a pincer movement, a, a double envelopment by Hannibal. And atomized, and they had lost two battles previously, so they were out of people. What they knew is that the wombs of the Roman women would replace their soldiers as fast as they were killed. They had more troops coming right back up again. They could take a beating like Cannae and continue to field the legions, and then not only regroup uh, but feed Hannibal eventually. And formed the Roman Empire and, and conquered the known world. Without the women, they couldn't have done it, and they knew that. Which is why they wouldn't put women in positions where they had anything to do other than do and be a, a helpful wife and a politically helpful when, when you were at the dynastic level. Um, the, a whole bunch of complex considerations came about, not because the men were misogynistic or poor sexist pigs, but because that's the way nature built the beast. And we've been trying to overcome nature and God ever since. And you see what it is now? They're trying to take the word, the word woman has now disappeared from our vocabulary. Anybody can have a baby. Put, put uh, uh, menstruating pro- products in every uh, bathroom now. Uh, if you say a man can't have a woman, you you, you get on the blackness. Um, this is just sheer and and, and the men have to stand up, because I do believe this, this lesson of Doralea is that if the women see that we are not defending them and fighting for them and loving them and treasuring what they do and elevating it, which is one of the geniuses of Christianity with the whole cult of the Virgin, elevating mother to the highest possible position that Mary in Christian theology is the mother of God, We don't, if we don't act like that, they're going to go over to the enemy.
1: That's exactly. And by the way, what's
2: the most what's the most masculine religion on earth? Islam.
1: What Michael has said is is profoundly profoundly true. It is absolutely one hundred percent correct, and it and it and it shoots down any charge of misogyny of misogyny. Oh, the, the place of the woman in a traditional society is at the top because of her uniqueness. And because of what she can do for society, and that is something that we should celebrate. That is something that we should honor, and that is something that we should treasure. But as Michael said, we anybody can be a woman. Well, if anybody can be a woman, it ain't so special, huh?
0: No, the, very, very, very true. But you know, and it and it, and it segues very nicely into. And this is, this is funny about the podcast. We were going to, we we're going to lead off with this subject, but somehow we spent the last hour talking about anything and everything, but, but everything is so interrelated. <clears throat> and, and, and I'll start off by just saying that the last however many 60, 70 years of, of the destruction of academia has basically turned all of these notions. And they're not even notions. These are truths. These are self evident truths uh that we've that we've been passed on from generation to generation over the course of western civilization and even further back into human development going back hundreds of thousands if not millions of years men are equipped to do certain things women are equipped to do certain things and really neither the twain shall meet but when they do meet It's, you know, you form the family and then from the family, you form society and so on and so forth. And the subject that I'm talking about is the the resignation of this woman, Claudine Gay, from the uh, position of of a president of Harvard. Of which, uh, in the real world, she was never even equipped to, to, to wash and clean the eraser or the blackboard of any schoolroom, let alone teach or be the, the head of, of, a, of any university, let alone one with the august reputation of Harvard. And yet there she was. She had to go because the way she got ahead was by plagiarizing anything and everything and having a a paper thin or a wafer thin resume, which you couldn't you couldn't get arrested maybe 15, 20, 30 years ago uh, anywhere. But of course, she was hired for one reason and one reason alone. She was a woman and she was black and uh, she fit the bill. She didn't have the qualifications, but those are now the qualifications. And so this is such a uh, it's a very interesting example and, and sort of mirroring all these things about turning the traditional roles Of uh, of men and women on their ear in order to to remold and rejigger society the way that crazy people and Marxists but I repeat myself want to do it.
2: There you go, repeating yourself again, JJ. Uh, (laughs) Marxism is is we make a mistake of underestimating it. We we think surely no one would believe this bullshit, and here we are with everyone believing that bullshit, and it happens so fast because if they see a weakness. They drive a truck through it, and then they've conquered the territory. I forget whether it was CBD or you, JJ, that said, you know, once they claim a territory, it's there, it's forever in Islam. That's the Brezhnev doctrine, too, if you recall, at the end of the old Soviet Union. Or I happened to be when the entire thing collapsed, but that's a whole other podcast. Uh, <laughs> you know, once the Soviets took a territory and became communist, it could never go back. So, you know, one man, one vote, one time, the end. And, and here we are now losing this war on a cultural front because we don't push back when the stupidity starts. You have to strangle Hercules in his cradle. Otherwise, he grows up to be the strongest person on earth. And we don't do it. We would think through We would think there'd be a lawyer that would tell us couldn't for one thing. So that's the real problem as a lawyer. But that's another point.
0: Yeah, I, I said it because I was mirroring, you know, you know, what the great Rush Limbaugh said many years ago when he was talking about, you know, how, how things like gay marriage. I mean, when gay marriage was first even proposed, whatever it was, 20, 30 years ago, the, the screaming. And as we say in, in, in Yiddish, like a shrine that, that went up over mm-hmm. this was, you know, w- was incredible and they backed down. But the problem was they planted their flag. And once they plant their flag, sure enough, within 10 years, we had gay marriage. And he was saying mm-hmm. pedophilia at one point is probably going to be mainstream and you know here it was you know uh, queer story hour trans you know d- a drag story hour transsexuals and women's you know whatever and sure enough pedophilia is on the fast track to being mainstream and it's uh, like anything else
2: as you know i like to say they never stop they never sleep they never quit this is one of my phrases that's entered the lexicon because they cannot stop they define themselves by forward progress. Any defeat is intolerable to them. So they'll do whatever it takes. Remember another one of their phrases is by any means necessary. They actually mean that. We, do, we don't. That's the difference. What are you prepared to do? As, as great David Mamet gives that line to the Sean Connery character in, 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 in The Untouchable. What are you prepared to do? And, 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 and Kevin Costner says anything within the law. And he said, fuck that shit. You're going to have to put two of his in the morgue to beat this guy. That's it. That's street Irish cop. And you know, Mammoth loves Irishness. I mean, I, 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 knew Mamet was a conservative when I first saw Glen Gary Glen Ross. That this player is one of us. He just doesn't know it yet. Well, he now <laughs> knows it. And believe me, uh, he is one of the, the greatest American playwrights, the greatest insight to character we have. But he understands the principle that you have to stop this in the bud.
1: Well, yep. there, you know, we, we've talked over and over and over again about the, but the about the the small signs of optimism, you know, people pushing back uh, in, you know, with respect to the teaching transgender bullshit in the schools and uh, and letting uh, men walk into uh, bathrooms where you know eight year old girls are are mictorating. Um and and while I see that and I am optimistic in the in the micro i i see very very little to make me feel good about it in the macro um they the left is still winning are we pushing back yes Are do we have an organized resistance to the left no now maybe that's a good thing maybe that's a bad thing but right now i don't see enough and i don't see the organization that is capable of of not just stopping them but pushing back
0: I think it just as an observation. I think, and, and you're right, CBD. That the problem is, and I think we have a mentality, especially in this country, of you know we just want to be left alone. We want to do our jobs. We want to do what we want. We want to obey the law. But unfortunately, so many things like the law, like our government, and so on and so forth, have been so corrupted and so taken over that. You know, for us to even moderately protest against it, we would be labeled as insurrectionists, as traitors, as terrorists, as white supremacists, and so on and so forth. So we sort of, you know, we 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 cow to this, you know, to this. We we want to move. It's ironic, Michael, that you say moving forward. We want to move forward in our lives in a positive way. We don't want to, and we're not trying to seek confrontation with people, but they want to conquer us. And the thing is, how do you? How do you sort of utilize, you know, play by the Marquis of Queensbury rules when when that shit, in a sense, right now is out the window, as we have seen with between stolen elections and uh, persecutions, uh, official and otherwise, and beatdowns from street thugs who are the official brown shirts of that corrupt government. So, yes, how do we fight back against that and organize? But it has to be done. You you are so right. We have to, if not rhetoric, hopefully, hopefully it never comes to physically, but at least rhetorically putting two of theirs in the morgue uh, for every one that, uh, that they do to us. So we're we're really, you know, they're, they're not going to stop. And they've actually laid the marker down by everything from calling Trump as literally Hitler and calling people as white supremacists and a threat to our democracy. You know, when you put that kind of shit out there, people like this crazy freak who went on a shooting spree, the the, uh, the LGBTQ person the other day, yeah. uh, or the other one, Audrey Hale, They take it seriously. These people take it seriously. And, you know, there it is.
2: Now they know they'll suffer no penalty for doing it. We will. That's the problem. The the January 6th thing. I watched that video, which was posted. Have you guys seen this yet? It's about an hour and 10 minutes long. And it's a timeline video of the whole January 6th. I think it was. Sorry, go
0: ahead. I was saying, is it it the, the documentary from the Epic Times?
2: No, no. This was something someone cut together with all of the available video evidence now that's been released. It's quite good, and uh, I, I, I wish those people that went there hadn't gone. And I, I lay that at Trump's feet. I, I as you guys know, I was a big Trump supporter uh, in two thousand and sixteen when nobody else was, and in fact, I was up for a position in the Trump. Administration going through all the FBI background checks and everything. Uh, when when the show ended with the uh, election, however, uh, it was finally resolved. Uh, but now I think his behavior on January 6th was not right, and I understand how everybody was angry and we were furious, and and that there was plenty of reason to suspect fraud, etc., etc. But I think for the good of the country, he should have accepted results and stood down and said, We'll get them next time. I think he took I took I think he took this country over a clip and I don't think he should it again uh because of that. But that's that's just me. Maybe you all uh, you all think.
0: Uh um yeah, well, you know, look, I, I can look it it goes down to this. If if what he did was wrong, was it any different in a sense or worse or or whatever than let's say Al Gore or John Kerry or Hillary Clinton, who literally lobbied electors to not vote for trump but that's hmm. you know it's not it's neither here nor there but in any event regardless of trump or, or what his foibles are or what what he did right or wrong it's the fact that whatever we do we can't do it but they can the same yes. thing with like the, the parallel with a claudine gay you know she's viewed and she views herself as oppressed and us as the oppressor so being a plagiarist being a fabulist being totally unqualified is not the issue. I'm black. I'm a woman. I used to be oppressed, and I deserve to be the president of Harvard only and solely because of that. And if I have to lie to the white man or whatever by using his tactics and his system to get there, then so be it. So it's there's a parallel here that I guess, I, hopefully, I'm, I'm, I'm making a point. If not, then let me know. No, you, you, know. you are. <laughs> and I think
2: the, 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 the look, go back to the boys, the grown men walking in on the little in the little girl's room. In a just society, the fathers of those girls would beat that guy to a fucking pulp. And that would be the end of it. Is it illegal? Absolutely. Would there be lawyers on them? Would they be thrown in jail? Yes, because we are not allowed any form of violent protest. The left can burn down the country because of George Floyd, a drug addict, and a criminal. But we can't. But you know that as a man, we'll go back to the most primitive definition of man. Back to the Roman Empire. I love that cartoon of the guy lying in the bed with a girl and she says, he's probably thinking of other women and he's thinking about the Roman Empire. We're always thinking about it. And what would the Roman Empire do to that guy? You think, that's why the Roman Empire lasted, for, what, 1,400 years? Yeah, a long time. 2,000 years, actually.
1: And I, and, Almost 2,000. And, and I think that's a very, very good point. And I think that that it, it at least in part, it, um, it contrasts with what you have said about Donald Trump. Now, Donald, I think Donald Trump dealt with January sixth very, very poorly. Mm-hmm. But I think that the sentiment was appropriate. I think that he should have challenged the the results of the election. I think he should have done it in a better way. I think that he should have. Now, this is of course ridiculous. He should have been better prepared. He should have known it was coming. And I think a more intelligent politician would have known it was coming. Certainly, the, the Democrat Party uh, tipped its hand. They talked about it. That what with that Time Magazine article, they said that what, what they were going to do, and they did it.
2: CBD, I said it in the White House. I said, you know what's coming. I wrote several columns. I was writing for the Epoch Times at that time, that they are going to use every mechanism possible to help this. They knew it was going to come down to eight states or six states, and they knew exactly how to do it. And they said they were going to do it. You're right. And then they did it. And then they bragged about it, right? So Trump a lot of this is, is is on him because he didn't run a good campaign. I came back from Ireland. I was called by the White House while I was here in Ireland driving up County Mayo in the middle of a rainstorm and they said, Hey, can you come in tomorrow? And I said, No. No, I can't, but I'll I'll get there when I can. Uh, And I got back and I I made some inquiries to very highly placed friends of mine, whose names we don't need to mention, but everybody knows them. I said, how's the campaign going? And one of them said, it's a shit. And what the campaign was, was a bunch of rallies that preached only to the converted. All the choirs were singing from the same hymnal. And the threat, which was right outside their door, was not... Paid any attention to, and what really bothered me when I watched this video the other day, highly recommended, is Trump talked for an hour and fifteen minutes. The people are standing out there in the ellipse listening him ramble on in an unstructured way, while encouraging people to march on the Capitol, and that's where I draw the line. You don't do that. You don't do it in a civil up. You don't do it, and he shouldn't. That's. I stand firm on
0: that. Okay. I think Trump's. I think his his Achilles heel, like it, like most of our Achilles heel, whether he said to march on the Capitol or to exercise whatever he said, um, mm-hmm. is that he believed, like we believed for a certain time, and I'm and I'm guilty of it, that law enforcement, you know, all of these things and and all of these systems, uh, you know, will be treated as fairly as as anybody else will be, and then when that. Mm-hmm. Crashed in on him, and as we saw it crashing in on him, even me, it was like I, I could, I could, I could hardly believe it. And then later on, when you see people like Comey and Clapper and Brennan and uh, Sally Yates and you know, and what's her name, Page and Struck and all the others, you go, holy shit, this government is—we are—we have been overthrown. And 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 you know, that was his Achilles heel. Trump went in. The DC thinking, well, he we could hire all these people and whoever he can hire and so on and so forth. And they'll just abide by the law. I won fair and square. They'll follow the rules and even forget the people that he hired. People who were the, the underlings in all these administrations literally committed insubordination. Like, as we yes. call him, Vindman, we call him, you know, Colonel Bearclaw because he's yeah, a lot he eats. of them. I mean, yeah, and it's not just that. It's every, admin, every department, every bureaucracy, everywhere. Basically, either stonewalled him, slow walked him, or just otherwise ignored and, and disobeyed orders. And, maybe and, so that's, with that. and
1: but maybe that's the the fatal flaw of 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 Trump, and that is that he is he is so enamored of the rule of law, he is so enamored of you know I'll take you to court and I'll win in court that he thought that that all of his ex post facto machinations would work, but but that's not the reality of the American political process, and he is. He was a a bad politician, and he didn't understand that. And he he thought that you know, he'd throw ten or fifteen million dollars at a bunch of law firms, and everything will be fine. And it wasn't.
2: That's a very good point. Remember, he lives in a world of lawyers. I am allergic to the fewer lawyers I have in my life, the happier I am. I never want to see another one uh, in in a matter of business if I don't absolutely have to. But other people seem to. It's the price you pay to play in that Shark Tank. And he he is used to, you know, really badly, you know, like, what's his face? Michael, who's he gone? Cohen, I guess his name is. Michael Cohen, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, just embarrassed him constantly. But he's got a super high tolerance for this, and he never really trusted Mag. Bannon and and Seb Gorka were gone by August of the first year. The first year, gone, gone. Uh, My friend Rich Higgins, may he rest in peace, just died recently. Uh, He got cashiered for trying to warn about the Islamic threat and going outside of channels, so he paid the penalty for doing that. Um, But, you know, by the time you got to George Floyd and COVID, which was an absolutely graceful episode in the history of the United States, I kept feeling this man doesn't seem to think he is president. He doesn't do anything. He tweets and says, Why doesn't somebody stop this? Yeah, look in the mirror, Jack. The guy that's sitting at the Resolute desk couldn't figure that out. And then the passivity in the face of the election, obviously there were Mac. An and finally, I thought the only chance that he had, and I wrote this at the time, was the uh, legislative's absolute authority about the elect. But you all noticed that it got prop kicked out of the Supreme Court with a huge negative. And they said, no, that's not true. That was the Texas lawsuit that many other yeah. states joined in. Uh, because clearly they violate that principle and the plain language of the Constitution. But to get back to your point, JJ, I guess the plain language of the Constitution doesn't mean jack shit anymore.
0: No, absolutely. it's It's gone. You know, Trump, no Trump, whoever, and whoever comes in next... And I always say this, here we are, we're sort of in this zombie world of thinking that it's sort of regular order and it's business as usual. And it's, you know, bare knuckle politics, maybe a little more bare knuckle than it usually is, but eh, it's all fair. It's all, gu- it's all fine, but it's not, it's a frickin' illusion. We are in, we are at best, we're, we're not observing the all these, you know, I know we hate, you hate Donald Trump. Okay. I, I I get it. And people do hate him, but shit, man, the persecution that he's going through and forget him all the poor people who were at the rally and who got let in by the, the freaking department of justice and were escorted. And, and all they did was basically put their feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk, you know, all this shit. And by the way, it's coming up on the anniversary of uh, January 6th. I think uh, by the time this, this podcast posts will be tomorrow. I mean, yes. it's just, we're, we're gone, baby. And we're just sort of, I don't know, we're sort of zombie America or, or whatever. And, and, and as I said to CBD before we went on the air, the closer we get to next November, man, I'm just, I'm just filled with dread at the possibility of what's going to happen.
2: Well, you remember that Dick Netson said at the end, uh, I gave them a sword, they used it. And Donald Trump gave them whole nuclear arsenal. <laughs> and, and that was the problem, is that he never really understood that he was president that he had powers, that he, but Biden is effectively, or the junta is effectively ruling as a dictator. He can just say anything he wants. Okay, tomorrow I'm banning gas stoves. Then the next day I'm mandating electric cars. What the hell is this? This is not the United States of America that any of us grew up in. Absolutely not. But there's no pushback now. We, I think we've lost, Frank. I, I used to think there was some chance to win. But I don't see it. I, I, the culture has been seized and the political process has been so thoroughly corrupted. And what the Democrats want to do, and, and I wrote this column just the other day called Enough, where I had like 20, 30 bullet points of stuff that I'm absolutely yep. sick of. But all the election uh, reform only goes in one direction towards the one party state jungle primer and now they're thinking about right choice voting which they have here in Ireland and as a result they have a unified uh, party, uh, they have a uniparty party that, that rules everything it only goes in the direction of a fascist one party state like California and that's where we're heading and I don't know how to stop it, I'm, I'm too old to stop it and frankly at this point I'm starting not to
1: care well that's a cheery thought thank you <laughs> so much for that now I'm going to go slip my wrists <laughs> no, I, you know, my, yeah. I I I try to be as optimistic as possible, um, and 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 I mentioned that I saw um, encouraging signs in the micro, but in the macro, I think that Michael is correct. Um, we are the the structural damage done to the United States is too great for us to claw it back without some unbelievable violent dislocation and uh what happens at the, after that I have absolutely no idea um the, mm-hmm. the the only boy the only good thing this is a horrible thing to say but um I think that if the left wins and they probably will they will eventually be beaten by Islam so they they will have a short-lived victory in the West and then Islam will become ascendant because yeah, Islam will be a, we- Go ahead. because islam uh takes it very very seriously and their thousand year plan will turn into a two thousand year plan and uh a lot a lot of these uh left-wing apparatchiks cheering cheering on the uh the encroaching uh totalitarian state in the united states will be up against a wall or swinging from uh you know swinging from uh the gallows but uh then of course we will have an Islamic State, which isn't which is no fun either.
2: Well, you know when this all started, boys, uh it was Barack Obama, uh who you knew was going to be nothing but trouble. And when he said we are five days away from fundamentally transforming, I turned to my wife and I said, I know exactly what this son of a bitch means. Because I I go back to college days in the nineteen sixties. That is all I ever heard is that the nation needs fundamental transformation. That means complete disestablishment and reconstruction under the same name. It'll wear a skin suit called the USA. Nothing about it will be unchanged, because that's critical theory in a nutshell. Everything has to be destroyed. When Obama used those words, you knew what he meant if you were if you were a sixties kid like I was at college in the city. Here we are. Because I think J.J.'s, obviously, Obama's running the show, Alarama. He's the first president who didn't leave Washington. There was a reason why presidents left Washington, And it's precisely why, because of what's happening right now. They're not supposed to have any more influence. They should be put on an ice floe and sent out into the North Atlantic somewhere. Oh, uh, I like that idea. They should be <laughs> exiled, permanently exiled. Uh, Unfortunately, he decided to break that rule too. So congratulations, New York Times. Another first for your guy.
0: It is, yeah. I mean, and again, it's one of those, I'm I'm sort of mimicking CBD a little bit and chuckling and and chuckling through (laughs) through my fear, I suppose, is that, you know, and I always say, we can never really know the future. And there may be some black swan event god forbid bad but who knows maybe good that will transcend you know typical electoral politics corrupt that they that they probably are and will be and so on and so forth that will cause a hopefully some sort of a societal awakening or revolution or call it whatever what you will that will hopefully slow this thing down and perhaps even stop this madness that that said Uh, I I can imagine myself uh, being uh, in Germany in the 1930s and saying the same thing, you know, about uh, Herr Hitler. But again, we can't know the future. And unfortunately, until really, you know, know, we sit here very comfortably still, even with $34 trillion in debt and so on and so forth. And things are going on in a certain way as they have before, albeit more expensive. But until there is a collapse of our economy and things get desperate and, and people really you know, have, have the wolf at their throat, maybe then they'll understand what's going on. Will it be too late? Uh, will the instrumentalities of a military or the police state or whatever uh, quash us, uh, you know, to be determined? But You remember that uh, during 9-11
2: and the aftermath of 9-11, a lot of people on our side, well, this is it. This is a game changer. I, I remember I was, I was driving between my home and, in rural Connecticut to Boston to teach, while it was all happening. So I never saw it. I heard it on the radio while it was happening. And my first reaction was, this is war. This is war. This isn't a police action. This isn't a game for the FBI and lawyers. It's a fucking war. Well, George Bush turned it into a police action for the FBI. So congratulations. And ever since that failure of nerve, we have suffered and suffered and suffered. We were not able to name the enemy and deal with him the way you deal with an Nexus Center. That's what happened.
1: So I'd like to point so they out- said, Well, this
2: will, well, I just want to say this one thing. This will bring back the mail, those strong firemen, all those Italians and Irish firemen that ran up to, in, into the World Trade Center and those cops, that, you know, we, we appreciate, ask, how long did that last? Two weeks? How long did it take the Democrats and their crocodile tears and then immediately start attacking Bush immediately?
1: well 15 but, days i mean yep you're absolutely uh, right that that was a failure of will and by the way uh the, the name bush will forever be in the toilet in this house yeah, um, oh, yeah. but but let's get let's go back um 20 a little bit more than 20 years before that and and something that i i believe michael you were a, a part of and that is the fall of the berlin wall you know on yeah. uh november 89 i don't remember what the mm. date was but in october of 89 You know, the Stasi were wandering around uh, Berlin uh, taking people in. And uh, you you could get disappeared in Berlin in October of 1989 very, very easily. And yet a couple of weeks later or a month later, that all ended. And that could not have been predicted. And yet it happened.
2: So I think that
1: the, the Black Swan event is something that obviously, I mean, by definition, we do not know what will happen. It might not but it can.
2: Well, then let me close on an optimistic note here. I gave a speech in Budapest uh, fairly recently, within the last five or six years, uh, to a group of Hungarians and one of whom had been in the Hungarian, par- was the youngest member of the Hungarian Parliament and the oldest member, He was in the 90s at this point, now deceased, but had gone through every phase in between uh, and had seen the whole thing. And I was saying to this group of Hungarians, that to me, the hero, the black swan of that thing, the the person who made it possible, or person, where the guards at the Hungarian-Austrian border did not shoot when they drove. It just took one guy not to do it, and the whole fucking mess came down around their ears. But they can only rely on force and violence. They can't rely on anything else. But the power of the individual, those guards, I I don't even know if we know their names or whether they're honored, did not open fire when they breached that border. This is prior, obviously, to the wall falling. They're the real heroes. And, And we have to do that in our own lives. We have to do it on an individual basis. Not all of us are in a position at that point to turn history around, but boy, you don't know. You're absolutely right, C.P.D. You don't know what's the event That's And I,
0: the and point. I would say yes. And and I would say that I mean, as as it says in the Bible, you know, he he who you know saves a life saves the world entire. And I believe just by individuals, whether it's. Us in our own little way, and, and Michael, you and your wonderful writing, and 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 your website, and and even you know whoever whoever it is, a cop or a, or a, or a, or a you know somebody in the military who refuses to follow orders, and all of these things, if God forbid, push comes to shove down down the road, whether it's this November before or who knows what'll happen, if you could reach one person, and if you could you could do one thing, I, I think it it, it definitely. You know, it will definitely help somewhere down the road. You can somehow convince, as I've tried with in the wake of 10-7, uh, to see American Jews opening their eyes to what's going on, not just there, but the conditions that caused that, not only in Israel, but here, uh, geopolitically, foreign policy-wise, and so on and so forth. It maybe may, may make people think, of you know, just like at the end of the bridge on the River Kwai, you know, oh, my God, what have I done? Yeah. So that's, that's, that's the mission. If I can do that, you know, with, with one person, somehow make them open their eyes a little bit, maybe it'll lead to to something positive. And then you just multiply that. And, and there you have it. Pollyanna, no, maybe, who knows.
1: No, it's all not, we can do, it's right? not being, you're not being a Pollyanna. The, you know, the, the, the man and the moment must meet. And we don't know which man, we don't know which moment. But if we don't try, it will never, ever happen. Right. Listen, Michael. Yep. We are we are running long, but uh, before we leave, I would like uh, to ask a question, um, and that is, yeah. what is your next book?
2: Uh, the new book is a sequel to Last Stands. Uh, it'll be published by Macmillan Saint Martin's Press, and it's called right now just it's called Rage, twelve battles that changed the course of history, and it starts with the Iliad, the Trojan War, and it goes up through World War Two and George S. Patton at the Bulge, uh, one of the greatest feats of logistics in the history of warfare. Uh, but but the final chapter is about the Battle of 9/11 and its aftermath. So it it, it ends on a rather somber tone, I must say. But uh, but you know we're quite excited about it, and hopefully we'll have a pub date in the next few months, and I'll let you guys know when it is.
1: Lovely. So uh, he mentioned uh, his last book, which is called "Last Stands: Why Men Fight When All Is Lost," which is a uh, a wonderful title, uh, certainly with respect to what we were just discussing. Yeah.
0: Well, let us hope that it that there, whatever the battle is, let's hope nine eleven is not the, the note that we that we end on, but that you know it's the the low point, and hopefully there will be a high point of of if you know if not American Renaissance, then the spirit of America as a Renaissance of you know God, country, Christianity you know and all the good things that that made this country so wonderful and hopefully the vestige of it of of this country will continue to make it to make it wonderful yet again uh, dare i say it make america great again i know you're going to gag on that michael but i mean oh, you know I, 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 right forget I, I, about trump the sentiment is the sentiment is real but you know
2: absolutely
0: absolutely
2: i i hope the israelis finish this war against hamas i hope that they're not a browbeat by the American government and the Europeans and everybody who's telling them to stop. Uh, I think they they are the old fashioned warrior Jews of Joshua, and we need those guys. We we need fewer Marxists and more Joshuas. In the world and Israel can set a terrific example for the West by showing some spine and backbone and an ability to get the job done. And I I, I root them on. I must say. I'm or,
0: absolutely. And maybe maybe what's going on now there is uh, instead of a last stand, maybe it's a Gates of Vienna moment. Uh, only time will tell. But uh, anyway, Michael Walsh, it has been a distinct pleasure as always having you on with us. We we wish you and your family and and uh, all the good people of Ireland a very, very, uh, very, very happy new year and, and hope for the future. CBD, my friend, thank you so much for being with us and for the audience. Uh, this has been the Cut Jib Newsletter Speaks podcast on the Cut Jib Newsletter radio network uh, around the world, across the nation, and up your street. Thank you so much for your continued support of hitting the tip jar, and we will see you again on the next one, and Happy New
1: Year. And Michael, thub on your on your uh, upcoming grandchild.
2: Oh, yeah, I'm very excited. It's going to be a boy, too, so it's finally <laughs> going to be a male. Yeah. Marvelous. You know, I have I have two daughters. My daughter so far has had two daughters, so uh, here we are. But um, yeah, thanks for having me on. I hope I, have, I hope as, as Brahms once said, if there's anybody here, I have not offended. I humbly apologize. So we, we, <laughs> you, know, you know, the only way we can do it is by by arguing with her and 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 coming to some conclusions. And and I think you guys do a great job. By the way, I'm stealing your guy uh, Buck Throckmorton. Uh, for the pipeline, he's going to start contributing twice a month
1: to us. I, I think Fantastic. He's very good. He is he's really a wonderful, yeah. wonderful writer, um, and his the quality of his research is well. Is that's what I'm excellent. loving. Yes. yes, I'm
2: loving it, yes. and so I've I really asked him to come on and talk about. Him. The EV fiasco, which he yeah. did a great piece for on Yeah, he day. he was
1: on uh, he was on the short list for uh, president of Harvard, but they saw that he actually did some research, and they uh, oh, they, they threw away his uh, resume. Right on the right, now, well, right on the circuit.
0: <laughs> I was actually hoping, Michael, that you were going to title your book the JJ Sefton story, but uh, <laughs> mis- mi- misery Defeat the <laughs> last dance. But anyway. All I'm, right. I'm, At the risk of repeating myself yet again, thank you all so much for being on the show.
2: Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, Thanks, guys. Okay, I'll I'll talk to you soon, then. It's
1: a deal. Thanks for listening, folks.